Welcome to the City View Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. What's at the center of this donut determines what kind of donut it is, right? And there are certainly some things that do not belong in the center of a donut. For example, let's say you go to your local donut shop and, 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 you, and you buy a donut and you bite into it and only to find out that it's filled with mayonnaise. You, you would call that wrong. You, you might even call that evil. You, you would definitely demand your money back because who puts mayonnaise inside of a donut? Or, or perhaps you, you bite into a donut only to find relish dribbling down your chin coming out of this donut. That would be absolutely wrong and disgusting. What is what is at the center of a donut and a donut have anything to do with what we're talking about? We're going to get to that in just a moment. But before, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for being a God that, that, that makes sense, that speaks to us through your word, that, that uses ways that we can understand and wrap our, our mind and our, and our hearts around things that come from you. God, I just pray that you would do just that today, that you would bring clarity to our minds and hearts about, about important things in our lives, the great things that you have given us, and what it looks like for you to be in the center of it all. In Jesus' name, we all said... Amen. Well, welcome. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Mark. I'm one of the associate pastors here at City View, and we're continuing this series called We've Lost Jesus. And just to kind of catch us up to speed, if you haven't listened to any of the previous messages, I encourage you to do so. You can find us on, on your podcast store or go to our, our app or our website. But, but let me tell you this. When, when we've stopped reading the Bible and, and praying, because we just don't find the time for it anymore, we've lost Jesus. When we're, when we're doomsday prepping more than telling our friends about Jesus, then we've, we've lost Jesus. When, when we think a Republican or a Democrat can save our country, we've lost Jesus. When we've forgotten how to disagree in love, we've lost Jesus. You see, each and every week of this series, we've lost Jesus. We're looking at how, how it looks to reinvite for some of us or invite for the first time Jesus to be the center of our lives. And we're looking at one topic at a time. Today, we're discussing specifically marriage. We're discussing relationships and, and marriage in particular. And, and I want you to know that, you know, some, some of you, I get it, some of you in this, in this room are married. You guys, can you make some noise if you're married? Not encouraging those who aren't so much, but that's all right. Uh, go and make some noise if you're not married today. All right, all right. So I get it. Some of, some of you guys are married. Some of you aren't. Some of you are going to get married soon. Some of you are not going to get married soon. But, but the truth is, God has something for you today. And I want you to open up your, your mind and your heart to what he has for you, because God always has truth. He always has life, and he always has next steps. But today we're unapologetically talking about marriage. Why? Because it's one of the most important areas of our lives where we are we're in danger of losing Jesus. And in fact, we are in danger in the society of losing marriage altogether, and marriage still matters, and so that's what we're talking about today. I, I, think, if, I think if we were to go around the room and, and, and ask people, who are married, the guys, you would probably say, yes, I want to be a good husband. And, and if you're a gal, you would say, yes, I want to be a good wife. And I think, I think that would apply to people outside of this room, whether they're Christ followers or not. 
No matter where they're at in their marriage, I think that most people would say, yes, I want a good marriage. Yes, I want to be a good husband or a good wife. But why is it then that so many marriages are struggling? Why is it that, that we, we look at marriage sometimes and it just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. And in fact, sometimes it looks as if it's, it's falling apart. Well, let's go back to the donut. Because when in doubt, just eat donuts, right? Okay, it's not, not my motto either, but, but bear with me. In the center of this donut is something that determines its flavor, determines everything about it. And there's something, something that doesn't belong in here. The same is true of marriage. You see, what's in the center of marriage, what's in the middle of your marriage, it determines what kind of marriage it is. And there are some things that do not belong in the center of your marriage. It's wrong. It just doesn't make sense. And it just definitely doesn't work. Here's what I want you to know today. I want you to know that every marriage has a God. That's right. Every single marriage has a God. And when, when, when I say God today, I'm talking about what's in the center, what's in the middle. Every marriage has a God. Why do you need to know that? Because your marriage will serve the God that you choose. Your marriage will serve the God that you choose. This is important because this God isn't necessarily imposed on you. It's not given to you. It's not forced upon you. You choose that God. And whatever you choose is the center or the God of your marriage. You will do everything it takes to, to serve that God. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to today choose the God that will guide, that will ground, and that will give life to your marriage. Let's talk a little bit about the state of marriage, just real briefly in our society. A lot of people in our society today would say marriage is, it's old fashioned. Marriage is old fashioned. You know, who needs it? It's irrelevant. It's not necessary anymore. Well, there's lots of things in life that are old, but just because they're old doesn't mean they're old fashioned. Amen? Just because something is old doesn't mean it's discarded or it's thrown away or it's no longer important. And there, there are some things that are old that, that are timeless and they're just as necessary now as they were thousands of years ago when they were instigated. But many would say marriage is old-fashioned. Others would say marriage is broken. Marriage is just is broken. You look around and you see broken marriages. You see dead marriages. You see marriages that aren't working. And, and, and oftentimes that's the case, especially when you bring two broken people together. Oftentimes you will get a broken marriage. How necessary it is then that we choose the God of our marriages as a God who is not broken, as a God who is complete, as a God who's, who's perfect and can bring redemption to all things that he is the God of. So some people say marriage is, is broken, it's old-fashioned, and, and then some people would say marriage is redefined. Marriage is redefined. God, God says in his word that, that marriage is to be between a man and a woman. But today in society, many of us have tried to redefine marriage as a way that, that we want it to be, to serve us. Also, marriage is an option. Marriage is seen as an option for people who love each other, want to start a family together, or just want to, just want to try things out. But in this day, cohabitation has become an increasingly popular option for, for, for people who, who, who want to who show each other their love and their commitment, the, the, 
The thing is, even non-Christian research studies that have been done on this show that cohabitation does no advantage to the couple later on in life. In fact, it, it increases the very things that this couple is scared of, that is running away from, that, that, that they, they don't want to commit, they, they don't want to necessarily sign in the dotted line, they don't want forever, you know, till death do us part, and so they try this in cohabitation, but it, it actually decreases commitment in, in the marriage, it decreases happiness, it increases things that like abuse that nobody wants. Here's a study that says those who cohabitate before getting married show lower marital satisfaction, lower dedication, lower confidence, as well as an increase in negative communication and greater proneness for divorce than those who choose to stay apart until they get married. But it's it's an option. It's It's the day that we live in. It's it's just our society as we know it. How about specifically in crazy 2020, this, this wild and crazy year that, that, that just continues to surprise us? The number of people, check this out, the number of people who are looking for divorce between the months of March and June in 2020 were 34% higher than those same months in 2019. There are more and more people looking for divorce. And it's not just looking for divorce. There's, there's, the, the suicide rates are skyrocketing. All of these things are going up in this crazy year of 2020, and marriage is, marriage is being attacked just like everything else. And people want out. People are looking for separation. They're, they're, they're looking for a solution. They're, they're looking perhaps because they have the wrong God as the God of their marriage. You see the combination of the stress and unemployment and, and kids learning at home and illness and loss of loved one and mental illness. It's just, it's just too much for, for marriage with the wrong God to take. Marriages are in trouble. And every single marriage has a God. And, and that marriage will, will do whatever it takes to serve the God that that marriage has chosen. You know, and it's clear that too many marriages have chosen the wrong God. You know, what, what does the Bible have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about realigning or refocusing not only our marriages, but our, our lives in general? We're going to take a look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. This is an incredible verse that, that, that says hundreds of years before Christ, exactly who Christ is going to be and, and, and who Christ should be in our lives. Isaiah 28, 16, you can follow along on the screen behind me, or you can open up your Bibles or open up your your device and check it out. Isaiah 28, 16. This is an incredible, an incredible truth that has so much impact if we allow it into our lives and into our marriages. It starts like this. Therefore, say therefore. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. How many of you guys want to sign up for a life that need never be shaken? Does that, does that sound awesome to anybody? Nobody? Go and raise your hand if you want to never be shaken. Uh, relationships that will never be shaken. Finances that will never be shaken. A marriage that will never be shaken. What does that look like? Well, it all goes down to this thing called a cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? I, 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 I kind of had an idea, but I found out after I looked it up that my idea wasn't so right. So I'm glad I looked it up for us. Let's check out what does a cornerstone mean. 
A cornerstone means this. It's, this. it's this masonry foundation term. And all other stones will be set in reference to the stone. So it's that very first stone that's put in place. And then everything builds around it. And it determines the position of the entire structure. So it's that important stone that, that sets the tone for everything. So several years ago, uh, we, we, we bought our house. And it was slightly a fixer-upper, to say the least. Built in 1962 and everything was from 1962. So out came so many things, down came some walls, the light fixtures, the the yummy popcorn off the ceiling that is not edible. Unfortunately, we had to replace those floors. And as we replaced those floors, I thought, okay, what are we going to put in there in its place? And and we we landed on just some laminate wood flooring and I needed some help. I'm a good helper in in that area, but but not necessarily the guy that can get the job done. So I call up my brother-in-law. He comes over and helps me. And here's what he did. He, He did what was so important. In essence, he laid the cornerstone for our flooring. What he did, we, we found the, the longest stretch in our house, and, and he laid this, this first strip of, of, of flooring. And then out from that, he, I mean, he made, made sure it was straight. He made sure the angles were right. He, he made sure everything was just right. And then from that, we built out. And after that first day, I, I, I took on day two and day three to finish the job. Why? Because that cornerstone had been laid. Because everything after that just, just falls into place. Everything after that, it goes in the right direction according to what was laid first. You see, Jesus is our cornerstone. He holds everything together. He determines the direction and position of everything in our lives. And if Jesus isn't the cornerstone of your life, he can be so today. If Jesus isn't the cornerstone of your marriage, of your relationships, he can be so today. It's never too late. You can start today by putting him right where he belongs in the very center. You see, according to that that passage in Isaiah 28, he is a precious and safe cornerstone. Let's talk about that a little bit. First, he's the precious cornerstone. That means he has high value. And when there's things that we have a lot of value for, we, we hold on to them and we, we keep them safe. Yesterday, uh, me and the family went up to Mortimer's Farm up in, in Mayer, Arizona. And the, one of the very first things you come across is the old, you know, sand, you know shifting for gold and panning for gold. And, and come to find out, of course, you have to pay money for the worthless dirt to find the worthless objects found in the worthless dirt. Great idea, right? Well, um, you know, my, my daughter, being resourceful as she is, she, she goes and finds some of the scrap stones that were left by the other kids, and she just picked them up off the floor and was happy with that. Of course, these stones are fool's gold. They're not, they're not really worth anything. You, you can't take them to a pawn shop and get anything for them. You definitely cannot pay your rent or your mortgage with them. They're, they're worthless. But Jesus is precious. He, he has high value. He brings value to your life and, and to your marriage. And so he is something to be treasured. He is, he is something to, to make sure he's always where he belongs. You have those things in your house that are very valuable to you, and you know exactly where they are. And if you had a fire in your house, you would, you would be able to run right to them and take them and, and rescue them from the fire. Why? Because they have value. Why? Because they're precious. Jesus wants to be that highly valued, precious person in your life. You know exactly where he is. He's exactly where he belongs, and he's setting the tone. He's setting the direction for your entire life. He's also, he's also safe to build on. I love this because he is this, the firm foundation. He's the the firm foundation that won't be shaken no matter what happens because we all know things happen in life. They they happen to us and we, if we're not on a firm foundation, could be easily shaken and everything falls apart. But Jesus is the cornerstone. 
and it makes sense. He, he's valuable. He's, he's precious. He's safe to build on. So, so why wouldn't you? And yet Jesus was himself rejected. He says several times in the Gospels, the cornerstone has been rejected. You see, he was rejected by political leaders, by religious leaders, by the we wanted easy and safe believers and followers of his time to, to the people that just wanted to be entertained. What's Jesus going to do next? What's he going to pull out of his hat next? What's he going to feed us with next? And, and Jesus was constantly rejected then, and he's continually rejected today for some of the very same reasons. The question is, what will we do with, with Jesus? What will we do with the cornerstone? Will we, will we build with him? Will we, will we allow him to set the tone in our lives or will we reject him, keep him kind of as a side dish, off to the side and not highly valued and not having the impact in our marriage that he so wants to have? Not giving us the foundation that, that can be built on. Who will the God of your marriage be? Well, we got some obvious choices. You. I mean, of course, we, we love us. We love the sound of our name. We, we love everything about us. So why not put ourselves as the, as, as the cornerstone or as the God of our marriage? Of course, that works for about five minutes, right? We've all tried it. And we're a train wreck. We, we, we're, we're imperfect. So we think, well, God says to put others first. So how about our spouse? Our spouse is the God of our marriage. That works, right? No, she, she or he is about as imperfect as you are. It gets, it gets nowhere fast. So why not the kids, right? The kids are cute, at least for a while. And, and, and we make them the God of our marriage. And then they move out and everything falls apart or, or they throw a fit and, and it just looks ridiculous. Who, who can be the God of our marriage? Who, who, can be, who can be trusted? Who can be built on? I mean, isn't it clear that it's Jesus, the only one who died on the, on the cross for us, the only one who demonstrated his love for us? It says in Romans 5 to 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. While we were helpless, while, we're, while we were his enemies, while, while we were good for nothing, and yet Jesus came to die on the cross for us. That is the God that I want as the God of my marriage because I can't do that. I don't have that in me. I don't have that kind of love. And you know what? Jesus, he just gets better and better. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Maybe... Maybe, you, you, maybe you've had a rough weekend. Maybe this, this month, you just can't wait for it to be over. How about this year? We're, we're all kind of there. I want to encourage you, if you're ever in a spot where you're just like, I, I just want to quit. I just want to, I, I want to quit as a parent. I want to, I want to quit as a, a spouse. I, I just want to quit on life. I, I, I just want to be done with it all. I encourage you to, to, to keep this one near. Romans 8, 38, 39, it is so amazing. It says, I am convinced, not I kind of think or sometimes or, or on Tuesdays and Thursdays only. No, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, ne neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. How many of you guys got fears for today or worries for tomorrow? Yeah, you're, you're, you're normal, you're, you're human, you, you've got a life and things are coming at you and it, but check this out, none of those things can separate us. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No, power in the sky above or on earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's give God a hand right now. Because I think that... I think that so many of us are, are in a place where, where we're not convinced of that. 
Or we're convinced that God's love will hold me on here, but as soon as I step over here, he's gone. God doesn't work like that. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. No dumb decision that you made, no, no, no dumb thing that you did last night, no word that you, you spoke and then you regretted it as soon as you said it, no, no matter how terrible of a wife or a husband or a mom or a dad or a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend you think you are, God's got you. God's love and his forgiveness has you. Nothing can separate you from that. You see, when, when Jesus is the God of your marriage, here's what he does is he draws you closer to him and you become more loving like him. You become more forgiving like him. He, see, he, he rubs off on you. You know what I'm talking about. The people you spend more time with, you start walking like them. You start talking like them. You start dressing like them. You see, the same is true when we spend time with Jesus. We become more like him, and it's an amazing, lifelong transformation that happens. You see, the, the wedding day and the, and the honeymoon wears off. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Storms of life come. Crazy things happen, things that we didn't plan for. And it's in those times that the God that we choose to be in the center of our marriage is revealed. It was April 2012, and uh, my, my wife and I and our oldest, we were we were, we were on the east side at, at a wedding, and so we were involved in the wedding. In fact, Julia, our oldest, was, she was the flower girl. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to be at the rehearsal dinner. We're going to be there all weekend. Let's just stay out there. We got a hotel. It was fantastic. Everything went well. She did her flower thing, praise the Lord. I was a little scared about that. Um, and and, and, we, and we, get, we get back to the hotel. It's late at night, and I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad we decided not to drive all the way home. We're just getting into bed, and I hear my wife screaming at me from the bathroom. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what's wrong? Never, never heard her scream like that. I rush into the bathroom and she's, she's profusely throwing up and she said, it feels like someone is, is squeezing the brain out of my head. I, I've never felt like this before. And she said, we got to go to the hospital. So we quickly find a, a hospital nearby, near this, this, this hotel in Scottsdale. And when we, when we get there and, and I'm filling out the paperwork, you know, the, the waiting room fund. And at this point, the, the, the worst case scenarios hadn't hit me yet. I, I, I was just kind of stunned. I had no idea what was going on. And, and, and we get checked in, and, and Kim was just waiting there, just kind of holding herself together in the waiting room. I'm holding Julia. She's about three years old at this time. And I'm just saying, okay, what, what, what's going on, God? Where are you at? I need you. She gets, she gets checked in, and she gets a C, CT scan, and the, and the guy comes back um, to me, and, she's, and, and, and he says, your wife's got bleeding in the brain. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> thinking this, this is what kills people. N now what? He said, we've, we've got to rush you to St. Joe's right now. And so we, so we get to St. Joe's and, and we get in. And later that, later that morning, she has brain surgery. And, 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 and the waiting room is flooding with, with friends and family who are there to support it. And I just remember, remember sitting down in the waiting room. And, and, there, and there's, some, there's some what ifs beginning to go through my mind. There's some... There's some what is okay. What if what if I become a single dad? What's that going to be like? What if what if my what if my girls don't remember their mom? You know what what if she dies? What if what if what if? And, and but before before my imagination gets too crazy, I just remember this this unbelievable, undeniable peace that just blanketed over me. 
I thought, wait a minute. Jesus is my God. Nothing can separate me from, from his love. Wait a minute, Jesus is my, my cornerstone. He, he is my rock. He's my foundation. This, this, won't, this won't shake me. Were, were, were my fears not real? Oh, no, they were real. Were my what ifs not big? No, they were big. But guess who was bigger? My God was bigger than my what ifs. My God was bigger than, than my fears. After a few hours, the, the, the doctor calls me out of the waiting room. Golly, I don't know why he did that. It freaked me out. And I thought, well, this is it. You're calling me out of the waiting room. I know what that means. And he calls me out, and, and he looks at me, and he said, the surgery was successful. Your wife and your baby are going to be fine. You see, just as this brain aneurysm ruptured in my wife's head, she was 20 weeks pregnant with our youngest child. To the point that a couple of days later, a couple of days later, one of the doctors came to me and said, you know what, Mark, you, you need to start thinking, if it comes down to it, who, who would you want us to save, your wife or your baby? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> Never thought of that one. But God continued to be my cornerstone. God continued to be my rock. God continued to be the God of my marriage and the God of my soul. And it's a good thing because when people ask, you know, how did you get through it? It wasn't anything but Jesus. Jesus was the only thing that got us through because it was 13 days in ICU and it was months and years of recovery. Even a couple years later, Kim, Kim could not be in a room with so many lights and sounds and multiple conversations. It was, a, it was a crazy recovery. Nothing that I signed up for at my wedding day, or, or, or did I? All those vow things, right? For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, for richer, for poorer. But more importantly, I signed up on my wedding day for Jesus to be the God of our marriage. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone, it is precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. You see, Jesus, he wants to be the cornerstone of your marriage. He wants to be the God of your marriage. He, he, wants, to be, he wants to be that of your whole life. He wants to be that in every single facet of your life. But Jesus, he... He doesn't barge in uninvited. He's waiting for some of you to, to, maybe for the first time or for the 10th time, to invite him again to be the God of your marriage. Today, you need to choose who's that going to be. Is it, is it going to continue to be you? Because I'll tell you this, it, it's not fair. The pressure that you put on yourself, if you think you're the God of your marriage, the pressure you put on your spouse or, or the pressure you put on your kids. Hey, kids, you you're messing our marriage up. You're supposed to be holding this together, right? That's ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous as it is to look to anybody to hold your life together whose name is not Jesus Christ. Today, choose who your God will be. How? 
What, 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 is it, what does it look like? I think we can all agree that Jesus is a, he's a, he's a, he's a he'd be great to be at the middle of your life and the, the middle of your marriage, but, but what exactly does it look like? Well, one thing we gotta do is we gotta stop liking the idea of marriage and actually put in the work. You see, Jesus didn't like the idea of the cross. He actually came down to us and lived among us to be the truth, the life, and the way. We gotta stop liking the idea and actually do what we got to do. First thing, first of five things, I wanted you to jot these down or you can just take pictures of the screen behind me because these are the kind of things you can practically put into place this week to start ensuring that Jesus is at the center of your marriage. If not, you're in danger of losing Jesus in your marriage. It starts with this, live out your vows for better, for worse, sickness and in health, till death do its part, richer for poor. Live those out. Now, now this is, this is where it can get, it can, it can be hard. Because there's a what if, what if, what if he isn't? What if she isn't? Well, I'm telling you this, each and every one of these, including living out your vows, you do it even if they're not. You do it even if they're not. Is that easy? No, that is extremely difficult. But I'm telling you, God will see you, God sees you, he will be faithful and he will bless you. And I'm telling you, never give up. Continue to pray and you do it even when they're not and you see what happens because God can work miracles. Live out your vows. Second thing is pray together. Pray together. I mean, prayer might be one of the most unnatural things that God has asked us humans to do and I think that's why he's asked us to do it because it just, I'm telling you, prayer does this. It says, I have no, what I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. Prayer says this, that there's nothing better I could be doing right now than praying. That is so hard because as soon as I sit down to pray, I come up with the most amazing to-do list ever because I sit down and I think all the things that I got to do. Oh, I got to do this. 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 As if to say, hey, God, you know, I, mean, I know we're about to hang out. We're about to pray together. But you know what? I, I, I got this. And in fact, I'm, I'm coming up with so many good ideas to do right now. I just, I think we how about we just say prayer for tomorrow because I think I got today covered. The God's like, no, come to me, talk to me. Let me be your God. Let me handle things. Let me handle your, your worries and your fears because we can't do it on our own. The same is true as when we, when we pray together. When, when, when a guy sits down and prays with his wife, man, it's so vulnerable. When, when, when a wife sits down with her, with her husband and, and maybe... Maybe conversations haven't even been great. How, how can you pray together? I'm telling you, God works through prayer. Let it be simple. There's nothing fancy that has to go on. It doesn't have to go on for like a half an hour. Just say, God, we're here. We need you. Help us out. Show us something today. Just, just talk. Just talk to him and see what happens. In fact, we've got at our Connect Center, I got it. We have a couple of resources, a couple of books. If that helps you spur prayer, you know, if it helps you to maybe read some examples of prayer, just something. We want to do whatever it takes to help you take your next step. We want you to become the people that Jesus has called you to be. And I really believe that praying together will do amazing things. And in fact, check this out. Of, of couples that pray together, that are faithful in, in praying together, 1% of them end up in divorce. 
There's something about prayer that does amazing things. Is it this magical thing like magical pixie dust that we want so bad that God refuses to give to us because he knows us? No, prayer's not magic. But I'm telling you, when you pray, you get Jesus more involved. And when you get Jesus more involved, amazing things happen. So we gotta live out our vows even when it's just us. We gotta pray together and then we gotta, we gotta read the Bible together. Read the Bible together. You see, when we read the Bible, we're putting Jesus at the center. So we got, some, we got some verses, some chapters up here, and I encourage you to just take a picture of that or jot those things down. Those are some chapters. Take, take three verses in a day of one of those chapters. It doesn't matter. It's like prayer. It's not so much how much you pray. It's just, just pray. It's not so much how, how many words you read in the Bible. Just get God's truth. Get God's voice into your heart and into your life and into your marriage and let him work. This is inviting Jesus to be the God of your marriage. These are some great chapters to just hang out in, read together, and let God's truth do what it does. Fourth thing is forgive each other. Forgive each other. You know what? God forgave you so much, more than you will ever have to forgive anyone else. We, we all know. We all got a list. And it's rolling behind us for miles and miles of the things that we've done that Jesus has to forgive us of. But you know what? You know what Jesus did with that list? He cast it as far as the east is from the west. And you know what will happen when we put Jesus as the God of our marriage? We become more and more like him, a little bit more at a time. Forgiving doesn't mean, oh, it's okay. Forgiving doesn't mean, oh, I'll just forget that. No, forgiving means engaging in conversation. It means, it means loving even when, even when it's hard. It means becoming more like Jesus. It means sticking through the tough times. It, it means living out your vows. It means loving that person no matter what. That's the kind of love God has for us. We got to forgive each other. And the fifth thing is enjoy each other. That's right. Enjoy each other. Jesus did not come to suck the fun out of life or suck the fun out of our relationships. No, our marriages as Christ followers should be great marriages. We got to stop showing the next generation mediocrity. We got to stop showing our kids a surviving marriage. And maybe sometimes we need to gross them out because we're kissing each other or we're holding hands or we love each other. Husbands, you got to keep pursuing your wife. You got to keep dating each other. You got to do the things that marriage does. Not to be okay, but to be great. God wants us to enjoy each other. It might be easier in those first few years, but I'm telling you, the enjoyment can grow because that's what love does. The enjoyment can grow because God, at the center of your marriage, he will show you new things and new layers about each other, and you will fall more and more in love with each other. I'm convinced as you put Jesus as the God of your marriage. You see, Jesus came to give life and life to the fullest. Satan, the evil one, he's telling lies because he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy. Today, choose the God of your marriage. You want one that, that, that's gonna let you down every time? That's just gonna give you a, a marriage of survival? Or do you want, you want Jesus, the God who will give you life and life to the fullest? A marriage that you can enjoy, not just survive. A marriage that thrives. 
Imagine what it will look like when you have the kind of marriage that will encourage your children by seeing, oh, that's how, that's how a dad treats the mom. That's how, that's how, that's how a husband treats the wife. Oh, that, that, that's something called marriage. It's actually maybe something I want to look into in the future. No, marriage is not the goal of life. Jesus is the goal of life. Jesus is this goal that God has for you. Marriage doesn't make you more valuable or more precious in Jesus' sight. Jesus loves you because he is love. Amen? But we're losing Jesus in our marriage and we're in danger of losing marriage altogether when we have broken marriages. Marriages that are looked at as this old fashioned or, or redefined or marriage is just as an option. It's time today to, to invite Jesus to be at the center of our life. And that includes our marriage. It might be the first time for you, it might be the 10th time, like I said, but don't lose hope. Start today and see what God does. Choose today who will be your God. Is it gonna be you? Is it gonna be your feelings? Is it gonna be life that you can't control? Or is it gonna be the only one who demonstrated his love for you by dying for you on the cross? with a love that nobody can separate you from. Every God or every marriage has a God. Your marriage will serve the God that you choose. Thank you for joining us today. For up-to-date series information, find us on social media at CityViewPHX or go to cityviewphx.com. 